As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Lighter, faster, smaller. The story behind its controversial looks and what technology could feature in its successor. I'm Andrew Vanderberg, and welcome to a special Gen 3 version of the Race Formula E podcast. Hello everyone, today we are bringing you a bonus episode of the podcast. It's been almost a month since Formula E unveiled its third generation car, which will feature in Season 9 that kicks off later this winter. This is an important car in the evolution of the all-electric series. It's a massive step forward in terms of performance demonstrating exactly how far electric car racing technology has come since the series launched in 2014. So who better to help us with a deep dive under the skin of the new car than the two of the people who were instrumental in conceiving it? Frederick Bretrand, FIA Director of Formula E and Innovative Sports Projects, and Alessandra Ciliberti, FIA Formula E World Championship Technical Manager of Motorsport and Sustainability. Welcome both. I hope I got your job descriptions right there. We're delighted to have you on the show. And of course, I'm joined by my regular co-host, the man who wrote the definitive book on the creation of Formula E itself, Sam Smith. Sam, copies of the book still available in all good bookshops? Uh, Yeah, there's a few left. Uh, Happy to take orders today if uh, anyone wants to place orders. Right. Let's uh, crack on into all things Gen 3. Uh, since unveiling the car at Monaco last month, Fred, what have you made about the reception? Uh, were you aware of the reaction to its appearance was going to be so diverse? Uh, good afternoon. Uh, to be honest, I think uh, more or less people would say that as long as people speak uh, about the project, it's good. So I would say it's good on, 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 uh, on that side. But uh, uh, diverse, no. Uh, as soon as it starts to design and, and, and style, anyway, People all have their view and, and taste, uh, and and I would say that uh, so it, it was not a surprise that people speak uh, because we were also uh, uh, internally when we had the first view on on those design uh, discussing a lot. Uh, will it be sufficiently uh, um, disruptive? Will it be sufficiently able to to represent the future of the con- the, the the championship and and being the flagship is important. So, so more or less, yes, uh, we, we were ready to have so many comments and, uh, and, and it's good that uh, people react. 
So I often think the way that things look in pictures versus the way they appear in real life can be very different. What was it actually like when you saw it in the flesh? Yeah, I think this is a, a good case in point, actually. I think when you see it live, um, it, it does look more impressive than it does on the, you know, on the printed page, on, on the page of a website. I think certainly the dimensions are noticeably much smaller. We know that. Um, it, it's got, it's got a, it's got a really interesting look from the top view down and from the front view. Um, from the side view, it, it it takes a lot of getting used to. I'm not sure it works from the side, but I'm sure that when there are 22 of them or 24 of them next season, that it's uh, no one's going to be really looking at, at that sort of angle of the cars anyway. Um, I, yeah, I, I think certainly it could look a, a little bit exposed on tracks like Berlin because it's super small and has has, uh, has got a smaller wheelbase and so on but but ultimately Berlin is 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 one race that is so different to all the rest isn't it the the rest of the circuits that we go to in the calendar are tight bumpy spectacular street circuits so i think if you've got something quick enough and you've got something that can race in close proximity to other cars i think it's going to be pretty pretty spectacular the, the drivers were initially quite cool on it but you know they saw a car that was in carbon black at valencia back in november um there was a slightly more positive reaction to to when the launch happened in monaco and i think you know just to reiterate really what fred said there i think the the aesthetics of the thing is just one quite small aspect i think these days as, as sebastian buemi told me when when we spoke about it um, you know, the, he 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 focuses on the performance of the car, and uh, you know, a, a car that is fast always somehow looks good to to him. Is what he said to me, and I think that kind of encapsulates what what people will, how people will uh, view the Gen Three car ultimately. Fred, the biggest surprise to me was that it was a return to an open wheel look. Um, has this been due to the way that the drivers have raced with the gen 2 car with you know there's been a little bit of criticism there's a bit too much bumping and boring uh, among the, the field returning to to open wheel um it was a mix of of different uh, expectations to be honest number one is clearly that we wanted the car to be closer to single seater standards uh to come back to what we know uh, more commonly in single seater world and, and having covered wheels was net, not necessarily what we what we wanted to to keep. So that was the first topic: make it more radical, make it more uh, aggressive, make it more uh, single seater uh, inspired. For sure, it it may help us a little bit on uh, on on, on uh, policing races because that will potentially limit a bit some uh, of the contacts we we see and and we have in, in some of the races, but. That was not necessarily the, the goal number one. The goal number one was really to have a, a, an aggressive look and, and something which is helping to have a car which is, uh, as uh, uh, Sam exactly underlined, uh, more performant and look more like a single-seater in the look and in the behavior. What do you think about that, Sam? Is the the right move to go back to a pure single-seater design? Um, from a personal standpoint, I, I actually really like the Gen 2 um blend of single seater open wheel and i suppose you call it prototype look i thought that was something very unique and innovative yes it brought some problems with let's say tactical contact in races and, and some overly aggressive uh race craft but you know i i just i just look at i just look at what formula e 
represents and it's always you know the, the word disruption is is used a lot and i think that kind of fitted into it for me the 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 closed wheel look at it and it's a fine balance isn't it you know you you have to have you have to have something that represents a let's call it monoposto you know a, a single cockpit single seater um concept but i just thought again from a personal standpoint i just really like that sort of slightly otherworldly look that's something something that you've not seen before because it captures imaginations and it captures the um it just captures the 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 sort of the essence of what new fans come to the sport for which is something totally different um yes there is a different look to the gen 3 car and, and that will do that will bring more eyes to it in its own way um but I just, it's, to me, I just thought it kind of slightly dilutes the, the uniqueness of what Gen 2 was building. Um, and I expected something, um, you know, something on top of that as well. But, you know, the, the FIA and, and Formery have gone another way and, and, and let's see. But um, I, how it, what it brings to the racing is, is yet to be proven. But um, I think for sure it will discourage some of the, um let's say over aggressive tactics we've seen which you know have spoiled aspects of of the races since since gen 2 started okay so we've covered off the look but really that disguises exactly what's gone on beneath the surface of this car um alessandra can you explain how we got to that final concept of gen 3 and in particular the way that there's been a dramatic um, push for to make a lighter car of course. Uh, thank, thanks, Andrew, and good evening, uh, everyone. Um, so as, as we all know, Formula E is unique in that uh, racing is held on street circuits, and that rep- represents uh, its own challenge. Uh, so our aim from the beginning was to design a car which was particularly agile, uh, specifically designed for street racing condition, meaning it needed to be both smaller and lighter. Um, of course, achieving this implied an enormous effort from us and all our suppliers. Uh, we were all faced with, with the challenge of lightening the car while simultaneously adding uh, components to it, such as the front powertrain kit, as we all know, while also taking a major step forward in, uh, in power output and region capabilities. Um, but, uh, you know, this overall effort from, from a design and technical perspective was well worth it uh, because what uh, it resulted to is an evolution that is marking a big step change in the overall car performance compared to the current generation two car. Now, there was speculation beforehand about whether this car would feature a traction front axle system or not. Obviously, you've decided not to go that way. What's the thinking behind that? Well, um, we wanted this car to be, um, you know, both high performance and also challenging to drive to ensure spectacle. Four-wheel drive was discussed at the beginning, but not considered from the outset of the of the project, especially for for the first um, um, uh, part of the of the life cycle of Gen 3. Um, and that is especially because the uh, Gen 3 is already incorporating so many updates as is, and is already packed with uh, many technological high-end solutions. So uh, we are really confident that the current spec with uh, rear-wheel drive iteration of of this car will be successful as is, but of course we remain open to um, reviewing this question in the future. Now, Fred, we've seen some drivers, not necessarily naming any names, Mr. Degrassi, 
say that maybe the car ought to have been a little bit more radical. What do you think about that? How we are we are back to subjectivity again. We we feel that it's much more radical. I think Sam uh, uh, expressed something really true: is that from picture to reality, you already have a very different uh, feeling of how the car looks. But when you see it in dynamic and you see it on the track, and and I had the chance to assist a lot of testing, uh, Alessandra did the same. We 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 really get something radical, much much more agile, much more interesting uh, to, to watch. And, and, and everything is going in the way we wanted, which is giving a tool to open uh, uh, more possibilities to drivers on the type of tracks we use and to open a better show. So in that way, for us, it's a more radical car, definitely a more radical car, because it will help racing to be more radical and it will help racing to be more uh, a, a better fight and a better show for everyone. Now, what's probably not really been picked up uh by the looks of the car and the performance figures is the other really big change and that's the fact that the tire supplier is changing uh, alessandra you know michelin have been there developing this unique tire for formula e like a treaded race tire since day one now we've got a new car but also a new tire supplier in hankook and how hard has it been uh, to integrate that and how good a job have they done so far you know, I must say, uh, from the outset um, of this project, Hanko clearly demonstrated uh, their capabilities, uh, especially uh, in terms of uh, technical and sustainable aspects. And all this was clearly described also in their uh, tender bit. Um, they've shown a strong commitment um, to this championship from the start. And, uh, you know, we understand that coming into this, uh, you know, highly specialized uh, field in, uh, in the footstep of a supplier which had the benefit of working um, in it for the past eight years is not necessarily, uh, you know, plain sailing. But uh, Hankook rose to the challenge, and they have proven to be fit for the role. And we are very much looking forward to accompanying the team uh, and working alongside them for the next steps uh, to smooth their path and and make sure they're well integrated ahead of the start of the season. Sam, whenever there's a change of tire supplier there's always the potential for a change in the competitive order adding to the mix, you know, a massively radical new car as well. How are the teams feeling about this? There must be an element of nervousness there. Yeah, I think there's, there certainly was. Um, I think some of the feedback that that Spark and uh, the FIA and, and notably uh, the test driver Benoit Trellier have, have given on uh, what was achieved during testing has kind of calmed that a little bit. I, I think Hancock had such a big job to do. I mean, in terms of modelling, you know, there, there wasn't actually any any real, um, I suppose, worthwhile modelling that could be done before um, before they went into this into this deal and, and made their product. So, uh, you know, the, the data that Michelin have accrued over the years is is substantial, and I think they've done a, a, an excellent job. I think Berlin showed that, didn't it? There's the, just the right levels of, of degradation and these this kind of nuance in how the the, the tire temperature window was um, at that track with its quirky asphalt. I thought, you know, gave a really good um, edge to the to the racing there, but. Uh, speaking to Trellier as well in, in Monaco, I asked him about the the Hankooks and, and his 
appraisal of them. And, and one of the things that I remember from that conversation was that he said that um, he was he was deliberately encouraged to lock up the, the tyres and to see how they reacted, which is a, a normal part and parcel of, of developing uh, new rubber for such a new new project and he said that the signs were pretty good that the um that the tires recovered well and that there was there was little degradation which is obviously vital for a an all-weather tire and one that is racing on a variety of surfaces um that include all the classic racing street racing elements of of potholes and drain covers and huge bumps and 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 of course that you know the braking the braking system which is going to be very very different with essentially well with no rear braking for for next year is going to be super interesting to see how that relates to um how the drivers use the tires how the drivers and teams use the tires so yeah i think it was certainly a concern um when testing began and before that but i think actually now the teams are on the cusp of going out to test their development cars which they received a few weeks ago so we expect the testing to kick off probably next month um and for them to start learning more and more about it but i i think in terms of an extra challenge i think it's 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 great i think there has to be these shakeups in in championships, especially growing championships, um, and we'll have to wait and see how how the Hankook product is. But I, it's going to be a fascinating strand to to the to the Gen three story or the early parts of the Gen three story. That's for sure. We've seen throughout the history of Formula E a desire to push the barriers of what the um, power units are able to deal with, what the battery can deal with we saw midway through the gen 2's car life the power mode was increased from 200 kilowatts to 220 um alessandra is this something that we can expect to see over the evolution of gen 3 as well um yeah indeed um we are as you know working hard at the moment to secure the delivery of the product for season nine but of course we're currently um also looking at ways to exploit the gen 3 technology uh, throughout the course of its life cycle over four years and uh, that may not necessarily take the form of increased power as we had in Gen 2, but uh, amongst um, various ideas we had, we are considering using the FPK, so the front power train kit in traction for specific scenarios. Uh, and then we had other ideas which included, uh, for example, an update to the car's bodywork to make it uh, eventually more customizable and enhance brand visibility where possible. Um, you know, there's there's many ideas on the table. Um, as you can imagine, any evolution comes at a cost. Uh, it may be financial or technical. So we have to be mindful uh, of the current development which uh, manufacturers are ongoing um, and ensure that any future evolutions are uh, intelligently incorporated um, and respecting what the initial brief of this car was. Oh, that's fascinating. So we could see potentially teams developing their own bodywork slash aero parts in the evolution of this car? Well, I mean, not, we, what we don't want is is um, uh, impacting the, the, the you know, um, uh, creating uh, too many differences in terms of aero performance. That's something we are not looking for, but trying to uh, work around specific features uh, that allow um, bodywork to be a more customizable and enhanced brand visibility, yes. Sam, that's a really uh, interesting um, potential idea. Uh, what else would you like to, to see incorporated into the next evolution? Yeah, I, I think there are there's there's a there's a quite a long menu for 
potential things to occur in, in the second phase of, of Gen 3. And I know that, that Alessandra and, and, and Fred and, and Formula E are, are discussing what, what might come um, in at the end of 2024 for, the, for those two seasons in 25 and 26. I mean, when you speak to, when you gauge the opinions of the, the people who actually go racing these cars and, and are involved in the championship, you do get a broad range of, of preferences. I mean, on one hand, on, on one side, you've got, we've already mentioned him, Lucas Degrassi, who's got so many opinions about how um, racing in general, not just Formula E, should go. And I think if you if you actually take some of those, um, rather than the whole, you know, the whole a banquet of um, of Lucas ideas. I think there are some good ones in there, but I, I think certainly, as Alessandro said, you've got to be you know you've got to think about the overall health of the championship, and let's not forget that the financial regulations are coming into force next season as well. So that has to be factored in for the future health of the championship. I mean, people talk often about the holy grail of racing, don't they? And and that means fully active, four wheel drive. You know, remarkable kinematics of the car i think um i think you and i vw are old enough to remember 92 93 era formula one with those amazing fully active williams fw14s and 15s and um you know amazing amazing acts of 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 engineering um unlimited budgets and everything that you could throw at those cars was on them they were astonishing, but what everyone seems to have forgotten is that Mansell, Prost and, and Damon Hill were winning races by 35, 40 seconds. Um, not, oh, the race was absolutely terrible. Well, of course, that's the other side of it, isn't it? So again, the balance thing, this kind of seesaw of, well, you, you, the technology and the racing, you know, you have to get this balance right. And and that's the job of the FIA and, and Formula E. Um, but it's, you know, it's funny what nostalgia does for you sometimes, isn't it? I mean, people talk about those, that era now. And of course, in this day and age, when sports fans racing fans sports fans generally they want instant action all of the time you know their attention their span of attention is is smaller than it was 30 years ago it would just kill the racing spectacle if we had anything uh, approaching what f1 had then so i think you, you know you, you can't have the full the full menu let's say which uh, which which lucas seems to want um that's quite idealistic i think but of course, again, you have to you have to weave into this the where the automotive industry is going and what's happening with EV technology and, and one high one eye has to be kept on that. So, to, very roundabout way to answer your question, I, what do, what would I like to see? I, you know, I would like to see some um, identification of the brands. I think um, if that is done in the right way, some um, some some body work or some some front wing or something to identify the manufacturers a bit more to give them a little bit more individuality other than their liveries um, and, and their brand messaging I think that makes a lot of sense I think some element of four-wheel drive you know and I'm not the most technical of people but if there is some element of four-wheel drive that can be incorporated into um an evo version of 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 uh, gen 3 then that that could be fun um but again that has to be balanced with all the things i've just talked about plus of course the sporting format which you know we've not even discussed yet so uh yeah lots lots of things are on the on the page and on the menu there i think looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Um, Alessandra, before the break, um, Sam was mentioning the sporting structure is, is still yet to be fully defined. There seems to be an assumption that pit stops are coming back and maybe uh, there'll be some element of fast charging or something along those lines. Um, what can you tell us about that? Well, as you say, the sporting format is uh, yet to be defined, but uh, fast charging is definitely one of the key features of Gen 3. Uh, and with this, we really wanted to show the, the capabilities of uh, high power fast charging. Uh, it, it's, it was indeed a deliberate requirement, which we included in the technical brief. Um, and, um, and for this, we needed to source bespoke cell technologies, uh, which, uh, you know, we have uh, defined and selected to handle six 100 kilowatt charge for 30 seconds that represents just to put things into context uh, double the average power that any current road going car in charging um, um, in fast charging yet so um, in terms of um, uh, the overall situation um, we are currently undergoing a validation process Um, we have already accomplished the battery to charger integration and uh, we are working on a car-to-charger integration to happen in the coming weeks. And then uh, throughout mid-June, we are going to um, uh, do the same with all the manufacturers. Uh, They will be able to test the boost charger capabilities with their cars, uh, and that will just ensure correct functioning uh, overall, as well as, uh, you know, the full integration of all the safety aspects around it. Oh, fascinating stuff. I can't wait to see how that will work in action. Um, Fred, attack mode has been an enormous success despite maybe some of the more traditionalists initially being against it. Uh, I think fans now think of it as a a fantastic addition. How's that going to work with these uh, new Gen 3 cars? I think attack mode is is, uh, one of the perfect examples where initial initial feelings were uh, commonly not necessarily in favour and at the end it reveals to be uh, probably... Uh, one of the exciting part of, uh, of Formula E and, and something really part of the DNA of the, of the championship and of the spirit we want to, uh, to put in this championship. So for the future and for Gentry, for sure, as Alessandra said, uh, the, the, the way we will manage the, 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 the pit stop, it will be a, a key topic uh, and, and it will probably be more linked to activating power and, and give more power for, for, for getting faster. Uh, and and for sure we will work also on the on the way we have to uh, implement uh, attack mode, but more in a 2.0 version, I would say. So we this is part of the DNA, and, and we will keep the principles, 
the way we will implement it, the way we will uh, create the entertainment around this uh, part of the of the race uh, is something we need to keep uh, innovative. Uh, is something we need to keep uh, a little bit different from what we currently have. But let's say we will try to keep the best of it, and we will try to improve what can be improved uh, in the attack mode. Uh, maybe the activation, maybe the the, the way to. Uh, create strategy around attack mode, uh, where we understand that there is already a lot happening, and still keep attack mode as being part of the increase uh, of the show for 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 the fans and and also for for the drivers because I think they all now uh, really enjoy attack mode and 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 this part of the of the race. So definitely it will stay uh, in which form and in which exact form we will have to define that in the in the coming uh, weeks. Some um, couple of really interesting nuggets there. I think, you know, attack mode has been an enormous boost to the series, um, making up really for what was lost strategically when the old uh, driver, when the old car swap uh, changes went away. Now, they were derided initially, but they did add an additional strategic element. Are you looking forward to, you know, potentially the return of pit stops? Yeah, I am. I, I think, again, just to reiterate, mixing things up is has always been part and parcel of Formula E. You know, you look at where we were, and 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 all the um, I suppose all the naysayers and all the doubters from Gen One about the the car swaps, and then in Gen Two it was the attack mode. And um, you know, I hold my hands up. You know, I wasn't sure attack mode was was going to work. It seemed so. No, likewise, yeah, I I think a lot of people did, but I, I actually think it's worked really well. Um, I'd like to keep the attack boost element somehow, even if. Even if it, it can work in conjunction with the pit stop somehow, I'm not sure how that, that would happen, but I, I I would like to see that stay to some degree. Again, though, it's a bit of a fine balance, isn't it, between natural racing and managing the energy with, with injecting something, but not too much. So I think you've got to have the, the, the recipe right. You don't, you don't want to over-garnish it, which is something that I think a lot of other series have, have done. I think often, especially when there are multiple attack modes sometimes it can get confusing in Formula E and, and I say that as somebody who watches it and follows it very closely so what do the people at home who are who are watching it who are trying to follow the racing sometimes I thought the one hit of eight minutes in Berlin worked very nicely indeed I thought they brought a lot to the strategy of the race I mean ironically it probably wasn't as action-packed as the Saturday race but at the same time, you can get overloaded with what's going on in a 45-minute race. Um, but I think generally it's, it, it, it's managed well. I, I think it gives the drivers and the teams enough strategy play within the race on top of everything else they do to keep, to keep it entertaining. And you get this pot boiler, let's call it. You get this kind of brewing up to the end of the race. I, I can't recall... Uh, you know, there's been the odd one. I mean, Evans, I remember, won in Mexico by quite a margin. And um, obviously the Porsches dominated in Mexico, but that's very much the um, exception to the norm. You know, usually you do get a race to the flag, and we've seen it literally, haven't we, on occasions in, in Mexico in twenty in 2019 with that race. I mean, it's brought some great sporting moments. But uh, you know, Formula E races, I think... I'd certainly much rather have attack mode than DRS any day of the week. And and again, that's an opinion, but I know many others who say the same uh, in the industry. Having something that 
comes into strategic play and that you have to weave into a, a race, I think is much more preferable to, you know, having 832 overtakes because of, because of DRS. But again, that's, that's an opinion. I don't think I'm the only one in that one. Ultimately, I think mixing it up and having pit stops will be a good thing because within a 45 minute race, having that action for a split, let's call it 20, 30 seconds away from the track. There's so much creativity that that the promoters and the FIA can put into a pit stop now. I think cer- certainly there will be things that they're looking at that, that make these pit stops unlike any other pit stop in motorsport. And I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing that because I think after the testing, which is going to take place in the next few weeks, um, as, as Alessandra said, I think once everything is known to be in order and working, I think they can get really creative in making a, a really terrific sporting spectacle at the start of Gen 3 uh, next January. Alessandra, with the cars being considerably faster but lighter and smaller, have you assessed what impact this is likely to have on track design? Are the current Formula E tracks suitable for this car or are we going to have to see some modifications made in order um, for them to be you know, the, showcased in the, in the right way? Well, uh, we we do have um, worked um, with we we have worked with our uh, safety department um, to to check on on this, and there, there was no red flag from the very beginning. We have made sure the uh, performance increase of Gen C would cop with existing tracks. Um, it may require some slight change to the safety barriers and various um, uh, elements. Uh, required, but uh, nothing that would dramatically uh, raise a red, red flag for any of the tracks currently in the calendar. Um, having said that, as uh, Sam said, we are uh, looking at a few crucial weeks ahead of us to validate all the car parameters, and only after that we can certainly say uh, and, and uh, validate um what the current calendar features in terms of tracks and make sure these will cope well with the performance of Gen 3. Uh, one, uh, one thing we can cer- certainly add here is the fact that Gen 3 is strongly track dependent because of the massively increased region capability of this car compared to Gen 2. So we obviously have to uh, keep an eye on that and make sure all the tracks are really suitable for um, enhancing the car performance and exploit uh, these performance at their best. Uh, Alessandra, sorry, can I can I just swing back a bit to the the four wheel drive question and and that sort of discussion? Uh, is that something that could come into play in in the second phase of of Gen Three? I don't know. Maybe Alessandra and Fred can have opinions on that because it's it's something that we get asked all the time, and um, and obviously when we've um, when we've got some drivers and, and teams sort of uh, wanting to to have that as part of the future is is it something that you consider and, and, and could be part of the the technical framework in the near future if you don't mind Alessandra, maybe i start and yeah then, of course and then you, Go ahead. you can answer and, and and you just you just assist uh, you just assist here exactly to the type of of discussion we always have and the way we work with alessandra is that we try to fix plans which are uh, ambitious and she tries to make them happen which is not an easy task uh, all the time but she, she's managing that very well for the four-wheel driving we would love to have a way of activating four-wheel drive uh, in a way or another for, for the second part of Gen 3. Should it be the start? Should it be for attack mode? Should it be for a specific part of the of the racing? We don't necessarily think that we should go for full 
four-wheel drive for all along the race. But we think that if in some phases this could be also part of the addition of performance to the car to make attack mode more uh, uh, more, more demonstrative and, and, and even better than, than what we currently will have without, these are the ideas we would like to, 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 uh, to, to check if, if they are feasible. And, and as Alessandra said, we also need to make sure that uh, we, we keep our uh, manufacturers in, uh, in the capacity of doing it technically and financially. But she's, she's working hard on this one. And then now she can tell you how, how feasible it is or not. Uh, well, Fred, I think I can only just echo what you have just said. Um, um, absolutely, we are looking into using uh, the front powertrain in traction for specific scenarios uh, in Gen 3. Um, and, um, you know, we just, uh, as Fred said, have to be mindful of uh, the current development, which manufacturers are ongoing and try and make sure any future evolutions around using the FPK interaction is cleverly incorporated into the existing technical brief of, for this uh, generation of, uh, of car. But yeah, absolutely interested and looking forward to any future development in this respect. It seems oh, the wrong thing to ask now, given that Gen 3 hasn't even hit the track. But Fred, I know there were discussions already about Gen 4 in Monaco, and I understand it was quite a positive meeting. Um, what's the roadmap there? When do you have to sort of decide on which way to go? And we talked about four-wheel drive and implementing that here now and keeping track with where road car development is going. What sort of things are likely to be featured in the fourth generation car? Yeah, I think, yeah, Monaco, we had very good meetings on, uh, on, on Gen 4. And Gen 3, because we introduced Gen 3 there, but um, it's always difficult to start to think of the next generation when the, the current generation is not even on track and we don't have all the, the feedbacks and all the technical uh, um, understanding of what's going on and, and what are the topics we can capitalize on, what are the ones we need to improve. But definitely, we, we had the chance to have uh, many CEOs there, uh, many manufacturer CEOs uh, coming, uh, many manufacturers which... Uh, uh, either are interested in the championship for the future or would like to understand more. Many of them are, who, in, in some cases, left and, and then are already interested in having a look at uh, how things will evolve for the future. So it was a good opportunity to uh, gather them uh, around a, a kind of a brainstorming. Uh, and, and for sure, the, the key topics uh, are, are more or less the ones which are now also impacting Gen 3 second phase. Uh, because everyone would like to see those uh, those topics happening as soon as possible. But it's true that um, uh, discussing on how we could uh, include uh, battery into the package of uh, a potential uh, development is something uh, people would like us to investigate. But again, with the, 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 the clear uh, uh, figures in mind that we don't want the budgets to explode. Uh, the second aspect is uh, around... Um, four-wheel drive, as we said, or, or the way we, to make the car more effective and to make the car even uh, more efficient. And uh, the third is uh, all what has been discussed already previously on the, on the Gen 3 uh, potential uh, brand identity uh, inclusion into the, into, the, into the way the car will look like. So these are, these are topics which have been open. There, there are plenty of other... Uh, other topics which are also discussed, but we, we, we really need to go step by step. It was the first, uh, let's say, first taste of what could be Gen 4. We will have to, uh, as Alessandra said, first of all, deliver Gen 3, run Gen 3. 
but we need to define Gen 4, um, let's say, requirements or views uh, for end of 23, beginning of 24, to, to be able to start to think of, of, of the future uh, of Formula E. Uh, so it, it's, it's something which is still far away, but which is coming very fast. So that's why we anticipated that discussion in, in Monaco. And, and, and the good signals were clearly that everybody was on a, on a common agreement on, on one thing is that whatever we do, we need to make sure that everyone can do. So we, meet, we want to make sure that the people and the, the, the manufacturers already in place, the teams uh, being part of the championship, will be able to afford any moves, will be able to afford any uh, type of change of uh, uh, or additional strategy uh, elements in the, in the system. And, and we need to make sure that everybody will be able to be part of the championship for the future within the budget cap which have been given. And I think Sam was right to mention them. This is really, really important for the future is that we keep the championship under control financially, but we also keep pushing, benefiting from the, the experience of the previous years, benefiting from the improvement of the technologies, benefiting from uh, additional uh, awareness level, additional uh, um, uh, communication, marketing uh, packages, which will make the championship becoming even bigger during the Gen 3 generation, so that Gen 4 can even be more ambitious than, uh, than uh, uh, what we have been for Gen 3. I think the interesting thing about that meeting in Monaco was that several of the manufacturer big hitters were in town. So Thierry Bellore, uh, CEO of Jaguar Land Rover, was there. Um, uh, Ashwani Gupta, um, who's the C- CEO of Nissan, was there. Carlos Tavares, I don't think was actually at the meeting, but certainly was was in the um, was in town. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And, and and I think that shows as well as some of you know frederick won't uh, won't mention who was there but we've already written that that audi were there with alan McNish and, and and bmw were also represented plus um lucid motors had representation there you've got some you've got some real health in terms of manufacturers that have are either obviously in and active in the championship or have been active in the championship and um and i think the inclusion of maserati obviously through stellantis and um and as we know mclaren as a team not a manufacturer but still again about to be active in the championship just indicates that there is a a period of the necessary period of let's say a recovery is probably through too strong a term, but obviously, you know, when 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 two or three manufacturers leave in the space of nine months, which happens to Formula E, there is an element of recovery there. But actually, when you see that engagement in the next iteration of of the rule set in Formula E, I think it uh, it indicates actually that that things are on the up, very much on the up for Formula E. Um, so yeah, great deal of positivity in that. I, you know, one question which I, I will ask Fred, if if possible, I uh, I don't know if he'll answer or not, but there, there were some there were some rumours that, that that slick tyres might be looked at in the future. Fred, is is that something that that has any credence or any um, any possibility? Could could we see that in the future of Formula E? Uh, honestly, it was one of the topic uh, I, I personally asked to understand uh, if people could. Uh, could be interested in those moves and, and you, you clearly understand that people have made a big step in Formula E thinking that we also need to keep sustainability to keep a, a, a consistent strategy on, on, on the way we are consuming tyres. So for the moment it's it's clearly an asset for the championship to have those 
all weather tires part of the package to have those tires which are finally able to deliver very good racing, limiting the number of tires we uh, we, we use per weekend, which is uh, probably quite unique uh, in that way and maybe not even com communicated enough because it's it's a clear, very strong thing on, on, on Formula E that we are using so few tires for a full event. And, and, and at the end, people were not necessarily looking for something which for sure would improve the, 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 the lap time, but which is not necessarily consistent with the message the championship wants to deliver on sustainability and, and, and responsibility towards uh, tire consumption. So, yes, discussed, not necessarily something we think uh, uh, as, as a must uh, if we want to keep consistent with the, the, the strategy of the championship. And if I can add here on this point, as Fred said, it has a sustainable foundation, but also um, there is an element there uh, to remain road relevant. And uh, what was really um, raised about this point is, uh, yes, of course, treadless or slick tyres would improve traction and therefore the overall car performance. But there was a clear commitment, as Fred said, among all the parties to remain road relevant in this respect. Yeah, I think if I just to, to finish... 100% uh, right from, from uh, Alessandra. So sustainability, road relevancy. And, and, and the last thing is, it, it was more expression of a, of, a, of a frustration from some people around the table to say the car is capable of, of maybe much more than what we show uh, in terms of speed, in terms of efficiency, in terms of lap time. Uh, if we were taking some very, uh, 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 let's say, specific decisions, but then we, we, we are getting further and, and, and too far away from the, the, the spirit of the championship. And, and we don't think it's the right way. So maybe we could go faster, but going fast for uh, and, and not being relevant in terms of sustainability, road relevancy is not what we look for right now. Well, thank you very much, everyone. Some fascinating insight there. I genuinely can't wait to see the uh, Gen 3 car out on track. If it performs the way that it's uh, been teed up, it's going to be incredibly exciting um frederick and alessandra thank you so much for your time uh, and for uh, telling us all about that today but before we go sam um i guess we've got a little bit of time to do a quick news roundup so what's been going on in the world of formula e well i think from the last time we spoke just after the berlin epri we, we talked about the the incredible um musical chairs in the paddock that was going on with drivers and teams and i think uh, next year, everybody's going to have to look up at those boards above the the pits and just take in the amount of changes that's going to be going on in Formula E, which is all all very interesting. Um, we we ran a story today linking st very strongly Sebastian Buemi with a move to Envision Racing next year as teammate to Nick Cassidy. Uh, the assumption being that Robin Fryens will will leave to drive for the the new look apt squad for next season. So yeah, that if if that happens and we we believe it, that it will and that it was actually formalized in Berlin a couple of weeks ago that Sebastian Buemi's um, eight season run with the same squad with Edams. That's like the final link to Gen it, 1. Indeed, gone. indeed. Yes, eight seasons and you know an incredible return. 13 race wins is still the, the largest return for wins uh, that, that Buemi has, uh, has achieved and you know he had all that success didn't he? The season 2, season 3 he was dominating the championship should arguably have had back-to-back -back titles if it were not for that um that uh, strange situation uh, with uh, <laughs> the clashing of the the WEC race but yeah it's going to be very interesting to see how Sebastian gets on obviously he'll be using 
um, Jaguar Power next year. They're a customer, Envision are a customer of, of, of Jaguar. So that's going to be very interesting. There's going to be much more um, stories coming up in, in, the, in the coming weeks with regard to the grid for next season. One of those we hope will include the Tachita team, which is um, surviving or looking to survive for next season, I think its difficulties off the track have been have been well documented over the last year to eighteen months. And um, I've spoken to both Mark Preston and, and Keith Mount at the team, and they are more confident than they have been for some time that the team can continue with with some new investment and a new structure for next season. Which, if comes off, will mean a full grid of twenty four cars, which would be a terrific way of. Uh, yeah, so. terrific way of bringing in the, the Gen 3 era. Um, yeah, we, we're anticipating some Gen 3 testing potentially next month. I think um, some group manufacturer testing. I'm sure Alessandra and Fred are going to be at that and and, um, and and seeing and overseeing how some of that activity goes. Um, and the Jakarta track layout, which we um, have just revealed um, in the last few moments, actually, on it's not quite a calendar update though sam you're not going to get a jingle for this <laughs> no i think we've exhausted the calendar uh changes for this season let's hope we have anyway uh jakarta the circuit looks really good actually as i said uh, we were talking before the start of the show um there's a video on on youtube you can see uh, most of the the sort of i suppose 90 percent finished track i think they're going to be using every every uh, minute every hour and every minute up until everyone goes over to indonesia for the race now uh, just a just over a week or so's time um yeah going to be very interesting the track looks quick um it's got some undulation particularly around turn seven the uh, tax zone is going to be around turn 16 and, and looks quite um, quite interesting as well. So, uh, yeah, I think there's going to be a lot to look forward to at the first ever Jakarta Ypres. Um, yeah, that's about it. I think there's there's going to be, like I said, the, the main thing that's keeping us busy at the minute is understanding who's going to be in which uh, which car for next season. So uh, plenty plenty more uh, stories to come in the coming weeks. I cannot comment on who is going where, but it's true that the activity is amazing. Crazy. <laughs> totally crazy. <laughs> it's unbelievable. I've never seen anything it's, it's like, like it. It's like it's gone through its own attack zone and is sort of, you know, an extra 35 kilowatts of boost on the whole driver market at the minute. It's great. Good, good to... Yeah. It's a follow. I'll try and follow. And we are all four wheel drive. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, try and keep up with everything that's going on in the driver market on the race.com And we're throwing forward to the greatest weekend in motorsport, which is the Indy 500 Monaco Grand Prix doubleheader this weekend, which may even feature a little appearance of me on Sky Sports F1 uh, talking about the big race. So look out for that. Thank you very much, everyone, and goodbye. The Athletic.